Ken Hut. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are appearing as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. What are you looking at? Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and fly the aircraft. Now drop and give me 20. Down what? Down. Pull the rope. Pull the rope. Pull the rope. Pull the rope. Pull the rope, huh? Pull the pin. All right. <laughs> no, that <didn't> <laughs> Pull the pin. All right. Uh, the only bombing intended on tonight's mission is kind of stationary, the motion of elbow. So God bless these people for being so supportive of light sport aircraft and for like trying to, you know, being, being, they're like trying to break new ground. I, I don't mean to diminish what they did. But the whole concept of setting a light sport aircraft speed record, it's just, it just kind of like, I just go to myself, 120 knots. How do you? (laughs) (laughs) No, they're doing a point to point speed record. Well, I guess, you know. Which which demonstrates a lot more than just, you know, 120 knots. Demonstrates flight planning. It demonstrates, um, you know, endurance of not only the aircraft, but the pilots. Uh Uh-huh. True. It, it, dem- it demonstrates a real ability to do cross-country travel. And I, I come back to kind of the endurance thing. It demonstrates reliability. Yeah. And if, you, is- if, you, think, if you think back also to the 20s and 30s, that's what the whole world was captivated by. That's yeah, true. The whole Lindbergh right. thing, and they were doing cross-country. Uh, Just let me explain. They- let me explain here what we're talking about. Uh, this is uh, we're reading. This story's been reported in a number of different uh, uh, aviation news uh, organizations. I happen to be reading from, uh, basically from EAA, uh, one of the EAA websites. Uh, on June 8th, pilots Matt Hansen and Jessica Scharl, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, successfully completed a transcontinental flight in a Peregrine FA-04 from Jacksonville, Florida to El Cajon, California. Uh, they went left Cecil Field uh, in Florida uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm paraphrasing now. Uh, they made five stops, and then they touched down at Gillespie Field near San Diego at uh, 10.22 that evening. Total t- flying time, 17 hours. So that's very cool. It is very cool. I make light of it. It just, I just the whole idea of it. I keep seeing this headline, you know, LSA speed record. I'm going, what? But uh, it is very <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, I'm, so I'm sorry, I interrupted you guys. And who knows, you know. Yeah. But um, that's, that's hardcore. Uh, that's a long time to spend in any airplane, well, much, it, less, it back, much less in LSA. It backs up one of one one of my arguments with some of my friends that are you know haven't quite caught on to the idea of the LSA. Uh, even though the, a couple of them are flying airplanes that are LSA compliant, don't think a thing about it. Uh, is it you know if you can go cross country if you're up to going cross country in a Skyhawk or a Cherokee, right. you're really not talking about a hell of a lot of difference here. Yeah. Except two seats, you know those airplanes aren't four seats, full luggage, full fuel in general. Uh, so usually it's a couple of people and gear and maybe full fuel, uh, and slogging along 100, 510 knots in a real world, uh, particularly the older airplanes. And along comes a, a category of airplane that's biggest restriction is weight and speed limit. Uh, 
and two seats. And that the the the, the speed just puts it right and the payload capability puts it right smack in competition with that Skyhawk or that Cherokee carrying two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, why, I, f- I find all happen? of this I find all of this really fantastic though. Yeah. I do too. But not the not the airplane part, not the LSA part, not the cross country part, but that Dave has friends. <laughs> Congratulations to pilots uh, Matt Hansen and Jessica Carl. Yeah, good, good job. A, a very, very you can leave cool. tooth marks on me later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they did a good thing. Oh, they did, yeah, a, they man, did a, a really good job. Off, and, a big hat, you know, wingtip to 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 Matt and Jessica. Uh, having flown more than a few 1,100, 1,200 mile legs in a Cherokee 140. Which, as everybody knows, is an absolute rocket. Uh, you, you know, those are long days. Oh, uh, yeah. We'd be we'd be ten hours of airtime to cover eleven hundred and change, uh, and three fuel stops along the way. And uh, you know, by the time you tied it down for the night, you knew you'd done something. But by golly, you got to you got to the end of the trip uh, a whole day faster than driving would. And a whole lot easier than the airlines would, and at that time, not terribly longer than the airlines would have, anyway. Yeah. So these, you know, this is cool stuff. What these kids did. Yeah. Yeah. Not kids exactly, but uh, well. Well. Yeah, I guess. Well, yeah. Okay, I guess all everything's relative. Twenty three and twenty four. Uh, Hanson, he is a, a commercial pilot and a flight instructor, and she is a, a relatively newly minted sport pilot. So, uh, uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Anyways. Yeah, we meant no insult by kids. It's all a relativity. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, anyways, welcome, folks, to episode 139 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I don't know why this finds I find that so funny, but yeah, kids. Uh, we're recording this episode on, uh, what is it? It's Wednesday, June 10th, 2000. All day long. All day long. And uh, let me say hi to my friends here in the virtual hangar. One of those voices out there is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you? I'm spiffy. Yeah. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm okay. What have you been Good. up to? Anything fun? No, no. Um, oh, uh, man, did that's some, bad. Yeah, I flew a little bit last week, but uh, uh, weather's been kind of off and on here. Uh, we had a nice weekend, um, but I was just so ragged out, I just kind of hung around the house. Uh-huh. Didn't, didn't really even bother opening the hangar up or anything like that, oh, but... Uh, oh. I think this weekend I'll have some, I got just you know deadlines and commitments, what to leave in, what to leave out, kind of week. And uh, this weekend I'll be out from under all of that and and uh, be able to think about doing some aviating. Cool. So cool, yeah. And yeah. also here in the uh, virtual hangar is Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David. Hello, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the uh, uncharacteristically spring-like spring weather. You, you think is it is it there? Because it's not here. It's not here. What's it like over there? It, we, we've barely broken into the 90s yet, uh, two or three days in the last two weeks. Uh, right now, it's cool and overcast and, and may have weather. We had some kick buttocks storm system come through. Oh, yeah? Uh, sun, oh, Sunday night. Yeah. It, it, it came plowing through here. Uh, man, like a, I don't know. High-speed storm was moving, I guess, about 30 miles an hour across the ground. Uh, blew off roofs, blew down trees. Yeah, well. Uh, knocked our power out for a while. Really? Okay. Yeah. And uh, with just 
a totally mesmerizing light show. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was like watching the, the climax of a big fireworks display, uh-huh. except for about an hour. Yeah. Well, you're out there in the, hmm. in, the in, well, I don't know, is there, you're part of the country considered part of the Great Plains? I guess it must be, right? Yeah, it, part of the Great Plains and, and, uh, yeah. and right smack in the middle of Tornado Alley. Yeah, well, that yeah, we well, know, yeah. A- there was a major front that moved through. I mean, it hit the East Coast um, today's Wednesday, yesterday morning. Hit the Washington D.C. area, for example. Uh, I was talking to I was talking to Lee last night. He said they must have gotten easily two inches of rain yesterday morning. Really, uh, really, and and adds that it's been do, pretty much doing nothing but raining um, all spring. That's back up in Virginia. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. yeah the D.C. Virginia area, so, you know, which you know complies with the old joke. Um, spring in Washington is is wonderful. It usually comes on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I you know tra- talking about thunderstorms in the Great Plains. I've always that's one of the many things I al- I've always enjoyed about going to Oshkosh every summer. Is uh, I love thunderstorms, and from the ten yeah. years I lived in the West Coast, it was like a never ending drought as far as thunderstorms is concerned. They have wimpy little thunderstorms on, in. On the West Coast. Yeah, they really stuck out out there. Yeah. But, man, you go across the Great Plains, you see some of these thunderstorms. I mean, just awesome. Th- you really mm-hmm. – I mean, now we're really getting off of aviation here. But if you <laughs> – looking, hey. th- watching thunderstorms that they can have out in the Great Plains, you begin to understand why the Native Americans had, like, god figures built around thunder and lightning and stuff. Because mm-hmm. it yeah. is just truly an incredible sight well, to see well, to thunderstorms. Well, a little bit at- – to plop a little bit of aviation into it, you know, one of the one of the major visual treats of of uh, Dave flying out here, well, anywhere where there's big thunderstorm, is being able to fly at a safe distance from a big cell. Yeah, you know, big isolated cell might be sitting out there by itself, thirty miles wide and ten miles deep, and you know, just raising hell on earth underneath it, light. And rain, and you can, you can almost feel the engine noise. And watch that as you go across there. Maybe turn out to go out of your way to get around it, and then have to turn again to get out of the way of another because they just could be like signposts across the prairie. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool stuff. It's pretty cool stuff. And I am Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking Yay. from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire, where I am for one more day, and then I head out on another one of my trips. I'm going to Las Vegas. I like I like on the road lo- again. lost wages huh that's, yeah, that's right that's right I usually I'm pretty good in that regard I gamble but not a lot I don't get myself in deep deep trouble but uh, I don't I don't gamble with money yeah I don't I don't know how to reply to that um, no there's, there's there's nothing to say okay so I'm headed out there tomorrow for uh, get jumping uh, climbing into the uh, the 737 and uh, uh, going to Las Vegas I I just made a terrible mistake I didn't I'm on Southwest. And I failed to check in 24 hours exactly to the minute before oh, my closed. flight. And you get zone B or I mean, zone I got, e I, got, or... I got low B. I got B53, which means... Oh, you're all right. Well, I don't you're know. Right. B53 is basically 120 down the line. Yeah. How many seats yeah, are there in a 737? Yeah. Well, it depends on the model, but um, 160. Yeah, see? So... I mean, I can kiss. I can kiss the windows goodbye. Uh, yeah, you might be able to get an aisle. I, I prefer aisles anyway. Yeah. What's so, your number? B fifty three. Yeah, you'll so. be all right. <laughs> yeah, you'll. I mean, you'll get on. Well, I'll get yeah. on. I just don't want to get stuck in the middle. It's a five and a half hour flight. 
Hey, well, dude, give you're it, not going give it nonstop. Up. I am going nonstop. Believe it. On a southwest. Yeah. Can you really? believe this? Can you believe this? I can't go to. Well, I can go to Philadelphia. I can't go to like Indianapolis without having to change airplanes. All right, but I can go to, uh, to from Manchester, New Hampshire, from Manchester, New Hampshire to Las Vegas nonstop. You know, there must yeah, be a lot of gamblers. In, there must be a lot of gamblers in here in New England Hampshire. Market like crazy out of that <laughs> yeah, with those that's legs. Right. That's what it is. That's what it is. Uh, what's going on in the world here? Uh, this is so cool. I am jealous, almost beyond belief. Um, yeah. I am I, fortunate in that I get to go to Oshkosh for basically ten days every year, um, and uh, and and I love that. A, a, a good old buddy of mine, a former roommate uh, and uh, pilot friend of mine is only going to be able to go to Oshkosh for one day this year, but he's arriving and departing on a, C, a restored C-47. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. Who and why? Yeah, he, uh, he, he lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, uh, Rob is his name, and he lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and he has uh, hooked up with the Yankee Air Museum, and uh, they have a restored C-47 called the, Yank- the Yankee Doodle Dandy. And uh, mm-hmm. it visits uh, all throughout the summer. It visits uh, air shows around the country. And it also does these day trips uh, to various notable events, Oshkosh being one of them. And uh, he's reserved his seat and uh, is going to be flying. And I believe he's, he's uh, Friday th- the 31st. Um, and... Uh, so he flies in first thing in the morning in the C-47, and we'll spend the day wandering the field, and uh, and then we'll fly home that evening. And uh, cool, yeah, very cool, yeah. So uh, this is a pretty cool airplane. The, a recent episode I was just listening to a recent episode of uh, uh, Stephen Force's Airspeed podcast, and uh, he's gotten involved with the Yankee Air Museum and actually got to sit in on one of their uh, pilot uh, ground school kind of briefing sessions, and uh, although. Um, Although Steve is apparently... Uh, just, just a warning. Yeah. Just a warning to anybody associated with the Yankee uh, Air Museum. Yeah. When Steve shows up... Steve likes to fly upside down. Yeah. What? Don't accept <laughs> don't any don't what? Don't accept any food, any food from him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, yeah. It's very, very cool here. I'm looking for a picture of this airplane on their website. And their, oh, there's a bunch of pictures of the airplane. I'm looking at the wrong place then. Um, yeah. This is the YankeeAirMuseum.org. And, uh, oh, historic aircraft. And, <clears throat> boy, they got a bunch of cool airplanes. They got a, B, yeah. a B-17, a B-25, the C-47. A, oh, that's a clean-looking 47, too. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. 47, for the people who don't know, is the military variant of the uh, of the uh, DC-3. DC-3? Have I got well, that right? This is, yeah. this is the airplane that helps supply most of what went into Europe on D-Day, yeah. for example. Uh, it towed gliders. Uh, it carried paratroopers and towed a glider. Like, now, there was a pilot work. They, the, the, yeah, uh, that, he definitely earned his pay that night. Yeah, and uh, flying low and twisting and turning, uh, able to go a couple of hundred knots uh, without a glider dragging off his butt. Yeah, uh, and getting shot at mm-hmm. in yeah. the dark. The Douglas C forty seven Sky Train, and uh, I wonder what the history of this particular airframe is. That would be cool. It'd to be know. interesting to know. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem to. It just talks uh, in general about the aircraft uh, model. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, I'm jealous of Rob. He's going to get to ride in this thing, and uh, but we'll quiz him when we all get to Oshkosh and, and find uh, out. Re- what it, remind me, I have a 
I have a thought about a story that just might be able to get you a ride in a C forty seven anyway. Oh yeah, and and you know you know the managing editor. That's right. I do know the yeah. I do know the managing editor. Um, I went flying. I went flying this week. Uh, oh man! Yeah, I know. It wasn't. It wasn't Good for a, you, dude. It wasn't very notable. I uh, so I I've been talking about this for a while now. I needed another airplane. I needed an airplane to, that I could rent out of Southern Maine Aviation that was a little bit more. I don't know. Utilitarian has a more specific meaning than what I mean, but just I wanted an airplane that that first of all that was a little more available because the GoBosh has kind of been of limited availability because it's popular and because I've been having bad luck about syncing up with this maintenance schedule. So I wanted and and uh, Southern Maine has three different uh, 172s. So I wanted to get checked out in uh, Southern Maine's 172. So uh, I made an appointment on uh, on Sunday. What's, what's the 172 rent for? Yeah. The um, the uh, uh, M model rents for ninety five dollars an hour. I'm pretty sure it is. That's not that's, bad at that's all. The, that's the analog airplane. Uh, yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, the two SPs. Oh, see now, trick. Are they glass? No, they're not glass. I mean, they're not. No, they're not gla- really no, the glass. No, the two SPs an older one too. Yeah, and I I want to say no, you're thinking the, no, no, no. You're thinking the XP. Um, the SP is a post-96 model. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. The SP is the 180 in the current incarnation. Right, yeah. Yeah, the two yeah, SPs yeah. they have are uh, $120 an hour. That's not too bad. Yeah. So, uh, the uh, I don't know if I talked about this in the podcast. So, this the GoBosh that they have, the, that I flew, is gone. It got sold. Um, they replaced oh. it with another GoBosh, another G700, basically the same aircraft. Um and uh, haven't had a chance to fly that one yet, but any day now, maybe even by now, uh, they're getting a third. They're, they're replacing that one again with a third 700. The thing that's notable is this third 700 is going to be a uh, glass panel aircraft. Uh, Why are they going through, through so many of these? They're selling them. Oh. That's what they do. Well, more more yeah, power. To, no, 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 no. It makes perfect sense. More yeah. power. I just yeah. I didn't, I, okay, I didn't catch that. Yeah, I, I'm sitting here kind of in awe of the fact that this system is working for these guys and i know yeah. it's working for others as well because i, I look at in the sales numbers on uh, by danjohnson.com pretty regularly uh he keeps track of it and you know this uh distributor dealer dealer sells uh flight school fbo becomes a dealer puts one on the rental ramp and they go away yeah mm-hmm. and that's been the successful model going all the way back into the 50s mm-hmm. yeah yeah when when things were succeeding, so they're getting a new uh, GoBosh G seven hundred. Only this one's going to be a glass glass panel um, version. And I mean, it's just a couple of things that are notable about this to me is uh, one thing they told me that I just never even never even occurred to me that the glass panel version is cheaper than than the six pack version. Probably cheaper and lighter. Yeah, perhaps, but it. it they're they're thinking about actually lowering the rental rate on huh. the new one because the aircraft is cheaper, and if you look at the prices that they're quoting, and I, I don't have them in front of me, but I did look at them after I was speaking to them, and the glass panel model is like like twenty five twenty k cheaper purchase price than uh, really, yeah, it was really? dramatic. It was dramatic. Boy, uh, that's so anti intuitive, a counterintuitive. I that guess. 
I guess it's I think, the... I think I think just you know I wouldn't tell anybody. <laughs> I <don't know>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe knock it down five grand or something, but I I don't know if I'd tell anybody the whole thing. Well, you know, I guess they're you trying know, to make them. If, if it's creating a price point that's selling airplanes for them, yeah, uh, well, and they're making yeah. money at it, uh, you know, oh. that's 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 a hard record to argue. With. Right. It's, I'm trying to figure if I've got the you know, flyer that they If, they're, if yeah. you're selling them as loss leaders at that price and hoping to make that up in volume, yeah, is, bad is, is the hardware, the components, the, are they that much less expensive than the steam gauges? Apparently. Or does it does it have to do with the, um, the, the labor and everything to install? I don't know the answer to that. Um, My guess is that it's a combination of the two. Yeah, you're probably right. Probably I mean, right. if you look at the cost of a, of the individual instruments, just open up the pages of Trader Plane and look at one of the avionics shops ads for yeah, you know, but, attitude indicator. That, you're talking you're talking apples and oranges, though. In one sense, but, and, in that it, sense, it, is we don't need TSO certified instruments in an LSA. You I'm, do I'm not talking about TSO. You buy non TSO out of Trader Plane right. too. I understand. Uh, and discount that thirty percent because it's going to be an OEM sale. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But if you look at the cost of some of the electronic boxes that are out there, they've come down to the point, the non-certified, non-TSO stuff that the LSA guys can put in by designating that it meets the standard necessary. Uh, boy, the, the, the glass stuff gets competitive really quickly when you start factoring in labor and, and, and uh, complexity in, in building it mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of these some of these come in in uh, very usable sizes with uh, in, an AHARS full electronic attitude indicator. They can integrate air data and all this, and they're only going for twenty five hundred, thirty five hundred bucks. So that, that, I'm that trying to make this music stop. Hang on a second here. This where, is like, where is that? No, this is me. Don't worry about it here. I'm just like, what's going on here? Let me do this. <laughs> I just don't. I'm now, searching. I heard the train earlier, and I figured that was a Jeb's place. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a very, very capable web I, I, person, I, I, and yet I froze. I couldn't figure out how to make the sound stop. Um, it was. Uh, I'm trying to find. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the way to Marrakesh. <laughs> yeah, that was the Gobosh. That was the Gobosh website, and uh, and. God bless them. They make nice airplanes, but you should not put sound on your website that plays oh, non- no. uncommanded. Um, anyways, all right. So I've stopped looking for the price. I'm trying to find the price comparison. The, uh, when I was at Southern Maine, they gave me a uh, a uh, uh, a handout, a brochure that compared the prices of the different models, including this new glass panel version. And I, so, so you got checked out in the 172. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but I but so the GoBosch is is so popular that it's not as available as I'd like it to be. And plus, I want to be able to take my family members, and particularly my dad's hot to go flying. So I right. want to take him flying, and he would never be able to climb into the GoBosch. Uh, he doesn't move around quite as well as he used to. So. Uh, so I wanted to get checked out in the 172. So I went up on Saturday or Sunday, excuse me, and uh, went flying with uh, 
flew with a different instructor. It continues to be the case that flying with a new instructor, you learn some cool new stuff. Uh, you get a different perspective, and you know they focus on different things. And uh, my regular instructor was unavailable that day, and uh, so I flew with a different guy, and that was great. Um, and we just did the routine things. We flew out over the coast. We uh, uh, flew up and down the, the beach doing slow flight, slow flight and stalls and, and whatnot. And, uh, did you did a bunch open of t- your window and wave at the people on the beach? No, no. What we did too was we were flying. We were just reaching the, the, the coastline for the first time and, and we're coming out over the, over the, uh, the beach. And, and my instructor suddenly points down, points down and he says, he says, oh, there's Dave. Now Dave is a guy who flies this Dave, gorgeous. Dave's not here. Yeah, I know. No, Dave flies this gorgeous biplane. All right, I wish I knew what flavor, what brand it was, what model it was. But it's all I know is it's not a Stearman. I recognize Stearman. I recognize a few others, but it's a gorgeous old biplane. And uh, he gives rides out of uh, out of Sanford, and so this particular and I'd seen him at Sanford that morning, and so now we're over the beach, and and my my instructor points, and I says, I says, "There's Dave." He says, "Should we dive on him?" All right, <laughs> Switch, switching the guns. Yeah, that's right. And so I looked down, and we were at twenty five hundred feet, and I looked, and he was way down there. I mean, you know, he looked like he was like ten feet above the water, you know, and he was probably five hundred or maybe you know I don't know maybe lower than that, but but uh, he was down there and. Uh, Later on, we uh, we got back to the FBO at the end of the, the training. Um, we coincidentally arrived in the FBO office at the same time as Dave, and uh, and my instructor goes, "We had you, <laughs> we had you." And he's looking puzzled, he's going, "What the heck are you talking about?" And we we were joking around. We could have dived on you right out of the sun. We would have had you. All right, you know. You'd have never seen us. You'd have never know what hit you. And there's this sweet old guy who's standing sort of right behind Dave at the door, and the sweet old guy looks over and he says. My grandchildren were in that airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we didn't do that. That's right. That's right. So uh, anyways, we, uh, we were flying we were up and down the coast, and we did the, uh, the air work. And I'll tell you, boy, you know, I've been flying all these, to me, unusual airplanes all winter long, the, the Satabri and the Gobosh. But uh, that's all the flying I've done this winter. And, and it's all just a handful because the airplanes are so different from what I'm used to. And uh, to get back in an airplane that was just familiar was such a pleasure. You know, it's like, ah, oh, I know how to fly this airplane. This is great. And so, uh, yeah, we went out and, you know, 1.1 hours later, I'm checked out in the 172. So uh, that's great. And, Notify the NTSB. Yeah, it was great. Sunday, I have to say, was a very special day in my flying life. Sunday was the 20th anniversary of my very first flying lesson ever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, congratulations. How cool is that? Yeah, it was. Cool. It was cool. I'd completely forgotten. I I had marked it on my calendar and then and then forgot that it was coming up and uh, and I was I was actually working at my computer that morning, Sunday morning, before going up to the airport, and I was getting briefings and so forth and and all of a sudden my calendar kind of pops up a message saying, you know, you know, remember what airplane was that in? It was uh, a, a one fifty or one fifty or one fifty two of some sort. Where's my log? I can probably find it here. But uh, let's see here. Uh, there it is. Hang on. We'll open up this little file here. See if I can find mine real quick. It was uh, June seventh, nineteen eighty nine. It was a Cessna one fifty two, November six seven six zero three. Hmm. And six seven six zero three. Correct. We flew out of Palo Alto on a local flight. I did not transcribe the CFI's notes into my little spreadsheet here, so I don't have those here. But we did uh, point eight 
hours. And uh, it was cool. I couldn't career. tell you the exact dates, but one week in the second half of August in 1977, Chattanooga, Tennessee, received 20 hours of hang gliding instruction on a Seagull 3 hang glider. Hmm. And my longest flight, the last day all I did was long flights from this ramp about 400 feet up this mountain, the, the lower part of this mountain. And those flights just took my breath away. They lasted almost 30 seconds. Yeah. yeah. Do you I just, remember? I just loaded, it, I just loaded up my, uh, my little access database of my logbook. And I'm coming up on an anniversary of my first yeah. uh, dual instruction flight, which was on June 18. Your 88th not, anniversary, is it? I'm not going to say which year. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, the, boat, the motor stuff came along in November of 81, uh, a Thanksgiving weekend, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. And I learned to fly a flight designs trike. At Jasper Airport uh, in, in Alabama, it's right at the Tennessee-Alabama border at the mouth of the Sequatchie Valley. And it was 3,000 overcast and 95% humidity. The air was soaked. It was about 50 degrees, bundled up in a snowmobile suit and a helmet, and wasn't actually supposed to get off the ground on my solo flight. <laughs> oh, one of those, okay. You and Howard Hughes, right? Yeah, except I went to 1,500 feet to figure out how to get it back down on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so someone asked me, uh, I was telling about this uh, 20th anniversary thing, he asked me whether I remembered the f- any details from that first flight. And uh, do you guys remember details from your first flight? I don't remember. You know, I remember generally, generically, the... Uh, um, first series of you know pre-solo flights. I don't remember that first dual instruction flight specifically. Mm. Yeah, I have only vague uh, memories of it. Of I, I, I flew. I took dual three days straight, the eighteenth, nineteenth, and the twentieth. Yeah. Now, is uh, this your dad was a pilot, right? My dad, my father was a pilot. Was he a CFI? No, no, this was with the local CFI at the local FBO. Yeah. Now, Dad, uh, um, after I don't know, during or after the pre-solo, I don't recall. Um, I think it was after actually. He and I went out a couple of times just for practice and you know giving me some tips and, and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, but um, um, before I got my private, uh, and after that, of course, we flew on several occasions. Yeah. David, do you remember anything from your first flight? Well, I look at moving through each category as like a new first flight. It was like a new chapter. Uh, I don't remember a lot of hard details about that summer week-long lesson session at uh, Crystal Mm -hmm. Flight Park in Chattanooga back 32 years ago almost, Uh, except that... The, the the rush of the whole thing infected me like nothing I'd ever experienced. And I'd it, take instruction all morning and then walk back to the Crystal Air Sports Motel and swim in the pool with the kids and then 
the wife and I and the kids would go do one of the touristy things around Chattanooga. Uh, soloing a trike, I think probably the combination of circumstances really burned that into my head. I remember that quite vividly. I remember just being rock solid, uh, you know, mouth open, terrified that I'd killed myself when the trike came off the ground. I was supposed to do like raise the nose uh-huh. and push the bar out and push the bar out and nothing happened and nothing happened. And then all of a sudden it rotated and then the thrust of the trike pushed me forward and I didn't know enough to flex my elbows. So the angle of attack went up really quick. And in about 40 seconds, we were at 1,500 feet, and I'm trying to figure out how to throttle back and stop climbing. Yeah, okay. You know, It I, went around the pattern twice before I got comfortable handling the pitch and power combination to get it back on the runway. And then I flew it two more times that day. But that first one, oh, my God, just scared brainless yeah. for a good two minutes. You, you just said something that... that- Never occurred to me before. You, so you pushed the the handle. What, what did you call it? The the control bar? The, bar. the control bar. You pushed the control bar to basically to, to increase the angle of attack. Right, to raise the nose. Which is the opposite of what you do in a conventional aircraft. Well, and... Did that screw you up? Felt, when you, it, it felt the opposite of what I did in a hang glider because when... A, in a hang glider, it didn't feel like I was moving the bar. It felt like I was moving my body. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, okay. So I didn't push the bar forward. I moved my body back. Yeah. And that had the desired effect. So the wing would pitch up. Did you and find, yeah. my body forward, it pitched down. And, and, and you, over the years, you did so much hang gliding and, 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 and that sort of thing that when you moved to an aircraft that had more traditional controls, did you find that there was a... There, there have been there have been documented aircraft accidents that were the result of people being confused by which way the controls want to go. Um, yeah. And uh, no, I understand because so much of the early stuff I flew didn't have standardized controls to begin with. Okay, yeah. like uh, the early Quicksilver uh, with an engine, uh, you had a swing seat mm-hmm. with with little tethers that attached to a rudder. And when you moved your body to the left, the rudder canted left, and that started you turning. And the engine pushed you along. You pushed forward or backward a little bit, but mostly you controlled climb with the engine power, right? Yeah. Uh, just like in a big airplane. Uh, later Quicksilvers with landing gear and things like weed hoppers, they didn't have ailerons. They had a rudder and an elevator. Yeah. And the rudder was in the control stick. Uh, and then we got spoilers, except they put the spoilers on the rudder pedals. So there was such a mixed yeah. batch of control architectures for me that I was paranoid as hell every time I flew something new. Yeah. I paid a lot of attention to how the control system worked uh, on, the, on, on the idea that it would increase my possibility of bending nothing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Myself in particular. Yeah, there you go. Well, so, so yeah. this is the this is the twentieth uh, anniversary of my first flight, and then Way to go. in October will be the twentieth anniversary of my solo. 
And uh, I was kind of going back and forth in my head, which is a more notable milestone for a pilot? And I've come to the conclusion that they're very, very equal. They have very, very different feelings and very different, you know, in one case, it's the first time you, you kind of flew, you know, the, yeah. the first flight. Well, the, the solo is, is typically thought of as the day you become a pilot. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you're just a student. Right. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah. I, I know what you're saying, and uh, I, I, you know, but the but the first yeah, time I you fly, the check ride was the one that, uh, I don't know, surmounted all the others. Well, the check ride, everything the, else. Well, was oh, no, no, I mean, there is that. Um, I mean, there are any number of, uh, oh my God, that was great kind of moments. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. In, in my in my flying career, at least, certainly solo, and certainly getting my private, and and yeah. uh, you know achieving other ratings and things like that were all uh, high points. Um, you know, there have been some low points, and there have been some, you know, I'll get out of the airplane as soon as the seat unpuckers uh, moments, and and, <laughs> and things like that. Too. Walking the airplane, walking away from the airplane, couldn't believe I was still there. Uh, <laughs> well, there, there's there have been moments where not so much I couldn't believe I was still there, but did I just do that? <laughs> yeah. but I think we're on the same wavelength here. They were yeah, definitely. Yeah. I never want to do that moment again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. been there, done that. Okay, move on. Right? Did I really just fly through all that crap? That that's one of them. Oh, that's yeah. one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that was my milestone. That was my weekend, the 172 checkout. I had pancakes. I, 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 so was, I announced on uh, on Twitter that morning after my calendar told me that today was – don't forget, today's the 20th anniversary. And so I posted on Twitter. I said, today's my 20th, the 20th anniversary. And a bunch of pilot friends um, who are also on Twitter came on and said, oh, Jack. And one of them said, you got to go get pancakes. You got to go have pancake <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay. You know, to do that, you can go to my gym. <laughs> What's that? You know, we can go to my gym. They have pancakes at your gym. International House of Pancakes. Yeah, okay. My gym. <laughs> That's where he likes to do his heavy lifting. No, so I went well, on just, up to. Uh, I, I went up early to uh, to Southern Maine uh, to Sanford and went into the cockpit cafe. Uh, are, who are the I folks who made the uh, who made the uh, awesome pancakes that I that I was raving about a while ago? The pancake breakfast and uh, and I had pancakes that there and then I went off and met the CFI and we went flying and uh, it was a beautiful day. And it was a beautiful day. This, this weekend I'm either going to go to uh, the uh, fly-in pancake breakfast at Lloyd Stearman Field, oh. which is out in Benton, Kansas, northeast of us, or due east about 50 miles to Beaumont. Where the Beaumont Hotel has a, a yeah, we're gonna have to go to that. I'm gonna have to go to that Beaumont Miami Hotel. Practice. You talk about that Beaumont Hotel so much. It's just I got to check that out one of these days. It's oh yeah, really you really do, man. Uh, restaurants open. I think it's Wednesday through Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, and open really early Fridays, Saturdays, yeah. and Sundays. Jeb, you've been there. I've not been there. Not been there. All right. Well, maybe that'll be oh, one of I our stops do that too. when we do the Wichita yeah. tour, the UCAP tour. We'll, yeah. Uh, we'll go. And, yeah. and this weekend is the 10th anniversary of my instrument check ride. Ah. which I consider one of the one of the primo milestones yeah. of this whole mess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Very cool. Very cool. All right, we're going to move on here. Um 
One tiny little note here. We uh, were pointed, uh, someone called our attention uh, to, uh, who called our attention to this? Uh, well, I'm the one who put it on the list, so I have no clue who called my attention to it. Um, and a, a, uh, an announced but not quite ready to, for prime time yet. That sounds bad. A new TV show about aviation uh, is uh, apparently coming our way. It's called The Aviators, and uh, it's going to be a, uh, a syndicated show, which means it'll appear on uh, various stations throughout the country. Uh, reading from their uh, their their press announcement here, their website, The Aviators is a new weekly TV series covering stories from the world of aviation. We capture the full spectrum of commercial, corporate, and general aviation in Canada, the USA, and around the world. Shot in high definition, with correspondents selected from the aviation community, we feature the people, aircraft, and business of aviation today. It sounds kind of interesting. And uh, wow. I thought I saw the I thought I saw it on the television. On the cable list here, uh, weekend before last, but I wasn't able to no, I catch don't, it and did forget to DVR it. I but don't I think I it don't might believe, be playing already. I don't believe this one's airing yet. I saw someplace on this that uh, that they're announcing um, 2010 as their premiere time date. Okay, what, what? then I must be thinking of something else. Yeah. But uh, it sounds pretty cool, and we uh, we wish them the best here. I'm trying. I'm still scanning their. Uh, there, uh, yeah. See, they've just announced yeah, season one at, production. I don't know any of these people involved yeah. in this. This is apparently a uh, uh, Canadian that is, that production company. Anything. This is a, apparently a Canadian production company, and uh, so uh, we have an interesting uh, perspective in that regard too. So, looks pretty cool. We're looking Very forward cool. to it. And uh, if you want to check it out, it's theaviators.tv is their website. Theaviators mm-hmm. one word .tv. Do we know? I mean, I'm presuming they're going to be syndicated. Do we know um, which channels, which networks they'll be on? No, I mean that's the whole idea. I haven't they... seemed to find any. Haven't yet found anything on the website that says, you know, and and if it's like some syndicated stuff, it could vary according to what part of the country it's yeah. playing. Yeah. I, I I can't find it now, but when I was looking at this a couple of days ago, I remember reading something that said um, premiering next year and 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 that will be on. It's they, this is the way syndication works. You, they sell them basically a station at a time or or an ownership group at a time, and uh, it's very much catch as catch can. It's like they they air them where they air them, and uh, unless it gets a big network buy, which isn't always a possibility. You know, it's this is okay. Kind of, it says here the Aviators will be syndicated in the United States and Canada in fall. 2009. Okay. So check back here for times and broadcasters in your viewing area. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's under the uh, about under about yeah, okay. television. Yeah. More sad news Look from to it. Yeah. More sad news from the whole story. Sad the uh, Air France uh, 447 oh, yeah. disaster yeah. here. Um, there's been a lot of bizarre news about this over the last week, and I don't know if there's anything really to add to it. Um, it well, what, what's um, going on with this whole airspeed pitot tube thing? Can you explain to me what? It's, I, I can I can kind of sort of explain what um, people are speculating about. I can't tell you what anything definitive because we don't know anything definitive. Um, just to recap. Uh, in the early hours of um, June 1, which was last Monday, early being around between 0200 and 0215 um, Zulu time, um, an Airbus uh, A330 uh, operated by Air France disappeared 
over equatorial uh, Atlantic between um, um, Brazil and uh, Africa. Um, 228 people aboard. Uh, the aircraft was en route Rio, Rio de Janeiro to Paris. <clears throat> um, it took them three or four days um, to start finding uh, wreckage and uh, and artifacts from this this airplane. There fits and starts. Um, initially, they reported finding uh, various items. Those items turned out to be just flotsam that was uh, in the ocean, trash, if you will, uh, and not related to the aircraft. Um, a day or so later, they started finding stuff. Um, the the yeah. largest piece of wreckage uh, found so far is an amazingly and curiously intact vertical stabilizer yeah. from the airplane. I was wondering if that was curious. Uh, it seemed curious to me, but what do I know? Yeah. Um, some 40, I want to say 41, maybe more. I haven't checked today. Bodies have been recovered. Yeah. Uh, no one yeah. has said, uh, no one's, uh, Brazil is basically the, the entity performing um, a lot of the on-site search and rescue at this time. France is still they have a couple of ships and a couple of airplanes, but they're still uh, putting uh, um, seaborne assets in place for this recovery. Um, so Brazil has been doing a lot of this, and it's it's one of the more remote spots on Earth. Uh, when you think about midway between South America and Africa, um, there's just nothing there. So well, they, you know, when they, they they retrieve they were these bodies. Only about 400 miles <clears throat> off the coast when it went down. Yeah, they they retrieve these bodies um, and put them, store them on ship, and then the ship has to sail within helicopter range of uh, an island off the coast of Brazil. The helicopters go out and fly the bodies back to the morgue. Um, they have found. Um, other uh, pieces of wreckage, um, et cetera, et cetera, which, none of which answers Jack's original question, which has to do with the pedo tubes. Um, to, to the pedo, no one knows, first of all. Uh, and if they say they know, um, tune them out immediately uh, because they don't. No one yeah. knows what happened, period. Um, there were a series of uh, failure and warning messages transmitted uh, by the ACARS system, which is the Aircraft Communication Reporting or, or whatever the acronym stands for. Um, these, these messages were sent back to the mothership um, and, and detailed various um, uh, air data, navigation, and... Um, uh, instrumentation f warnings and failures uh, of the airplane in the last, what apparently were, were the last few minutes of its flight. Um, the the pedo tube uh, finger pointing, if for lack of a better term, um, is related to um, a couple of things. One, uh, there have been in the last few years a um, uh, a series of issues associated with pedo tubes and total air temperature sensors installed on Airbus A330s. Um, I don't know everything there is to know about that. 
basically the uh, pitot tubes and the TAT sensors um, are, are, have been giving false readings to the computers. The computers in those previous incidents have then signaled various errors to the flight crew, and depending on the nature of those errors, the Airbus automation then starts shutting stuff down, okay, and leaving uh, conceivably uh, in the Air France 447 instance, conceivably leaving the crew with um, basically an altered state uh, of automation aboard the aircraft with which they might not have been able to cope if, in fact, they were in the teeth of a thunderstorm. We talked, real quickly, we talked last week about um, a, a meteorologist by the name of Tim Vasquez who's done some really brilliant, amazing work um, using satellite data and other, other information um, available at the time that Air France 447 was going through this airspace and plotted that its path might have taken it through a very large-scale uh, uh, area of convective weather. The supposition, and I have to underline that word, supposition is that if all of these things came together at the right time, the airplane going through this weather... Um, the um, uh, there was ice in, in the clouds, according to to Vasquez. The pitot tubes, t- total air temperature sensors, icing up. Um, various automation systems on the Airbus failing, uh, leaving the pilots with an untenable situation. Um, after that. Uh, it's anybody's guess as to exactly what happened. Yeah. I'm well, sorry. Go ahead. It's important to, rem- to to note here that one of the factors that makes this particularly uh, distinct and unique is that this is a fly-by-wire airplane. Right. The, um, the amount of automation and dependency on electronics and sensors in this airplane, uh, like the A320 and the 340 and uh, uh, the, the 380, is really quite different than the the nature of the automation of uh, other airplanes with more conventional flight control systems flight management systems uh pitot tubes in this case it, the air pressure sensors aren't just plain hollow tubes plumbed through the system to some computer up in the cockpit they're electronic sensors that originate the data that's sent by wires up to the cockpit up to the computers uh, when some of the systems on the airplane start to fail and this came up with the A320 ditching in the uh, Hudson River mm-hmm. uh, the failure of, of different systems on the aircraft imposes the way they've designed the computers and the responses to these failures is to impose limitations on the control system on the control laws that change the way the aircraft responds to the pilots, responds to the flight director or the autopilot. Uh, you get a convergence of bad weather, uh, a pitot sensor system sending air data that, and it may be pressure data and temperature data that is in conflict with 
other sensors, having the system react the way the computer is programmed to, uh, the flight management system kicks off. There's a message that the pilot took the airplane over by hand control. Mm-hmm. Then you throw in other failures that handicaps his ability to control the airplane, maybe takes out some of his avionics. Uh, airplane, I believe, has a ram air turbine to supply electricity in the event of a, a, a total electrical system failure. Uh, so it can still drive some of the instruments on the flight deck, and then there's still the standby stuff. But, man, Co- wrestling, with that, yeah. wrestling with that in bad weather with a uh, control system that's not mm-hmm. responding as nimbly as you're used to, as it ought to, and in with a very, very narrow window within the airplane has to fly because it's at such a high altitude that the stall speed is so much higher than it is when it's in a normal landing configuration. Uh, The upset speed is so close to the cruise speed. uh, There may even be another angle there where the uh, airplane can overspeed pretty quickly if you get it pitched down. So, And in issues with engine inlet, pressure that the wrong angle of attack can can uh, contribute to maybe cause you engine problems uh-huh. uh, the pilots used to call that that narrow convergence coffin corner right where they can't afford too much pitch and they can't afford too little yeah. and it can be very very narrow and then throw in even a moderately bad thunderstorm yeah that's got gust factors pushing you in and out of that window, through that window and back again, hundreds of thousands of pounds loaded up, handicapped instrumentation, handicapped control architecture. Uh, holy crap, I'm glad Co- I went in that airplane yeah, at night. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, the autopilot, uh, one of the ACAR's messages was a, a warning that the autopilot had tripped off. It had not been manually disconnected. Uh, and in fact, in fact, Airbus uh, flight manuals apparently recommend that the autopilot remain connected when flying in convective weather. Really? Um, yeah. Secondly, uh, which, which, well, and putting some meat on that bone, um, you're flying along and you're poking around through this this uh, this convective weather, and it's a rough ride, and 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 in fact, there's. It's it's um, a little squiggly. There's there's information out there. It's been widely reported. Let me put it this way: it's been widely reported that a a manual ACARS message was transmitted by the crew at O two hundred, saying that they were in um, turbulence. I, I hesitate to characterize the nature of the turbulence because it's not clear to me. Um, exactly how to characterize it. Um, then 14 minutes later was the last ACARS message received. Um, the uh, other ACARS messages between actually 0210 and 0214 detailed a series of failures and or warnings involving the, uh, the, the air data and inertial reference systems, which basically in that category of airplane is the same as your steam gauges on my, my debonair. Yeah. Um, so they, they didn't have airspeed. They may or may not have had attitude. Um, and all of this, uh, as, as Dave correctly pointed out, the 
computer logic of the of the flight control system changed from normal law to alternate law. Normal law uh, has all the various uh, airframe preservation and stall warrant, stall pre- stall prevention. Uh, um, uh, logic built into it. You can't stall the airplane. You can't break the airplane in normal law. When alternate law kicks in, as it supposedly did, um, many of those protections are removed. Um, what that means and how it all fits together uh, is way over my pay grade. Let me let me ask you this question. Um, I, I remember when these fly-by-wire systems first sort of began to appear, and we heard about these Airbuses were going to be using them, and 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 I guess the military has been using them for even longer. And 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 I was working deep in the computer industry at the time, and and as much as I love computers, I don't trust them farther than I can, you know, throw them or something well, like that. And it just made me very nervous that these fly-by-wire systems. But what? So FlyBoyWire has been around for a while. What's its performance record been like? What's its it's been very good. It's it's the the system, you know, when we talk fly-by-wire, uh we're talking about rather than a mechanical linkage from a control stick or a yoke to a control surface, we're talking about if I move the control stick in an Airbus, I'm actually mainly moving a potentiometer. And it's sending digital signals over wires to servos attached to the control surface to actually move. Yeah, the but as I surface. understand it, it's not a direct even. It's not even as direct a connection as it, what you it, described because direct. because it, it goes you, you move the yoke and then through, the computer yeah. thinks about it and says, "Well, right. am I really going to do that or not?" Okay, I'll do. Am I going to let you do that? Yeah, yeah. right. You know, there, and and you know, there's there's uh, feedback issues. There's uh, um, um, is is this an, well? One of the first, uh, it was I think it was the first um, Airbus 320 uh, was was doing a flight demonstration, and I forget the location. This was back um, early 90s, late 80s, I believe. It, it was in France. It was about 1983. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the the crew was making a low pass, and they had pulled some power off for this low pass at a runway and they make the low pass they're level and um they go to power up the airplane and and pitch up well it's it's not exactly clear to me um what the computer specifically said but the computer did not allow them to add power and pitch up the nose at the same time the airplane ended up mushing itself past the runway and into trees, and there were several people killed in that. Um, the Airbus fleet has, for all intent and purpose, a very good record. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the fly-by-wire concept... Um, at least uh, as it's been implemented by Airbus and, and certain other manufacturers over the years also, is validated. Um, but the punchline in any of this is however perfect the computers are and however perfect the logic may seem, it's still something crafted by humans. And humans well, it, it, mistakes. It, it, and in fairness to the system here, it depends on accurate information. Right. Now, in the case of the A320 demonstration flight crash all those years ago, 
one of the things that was going on there was that it was a stunt pass to show people on board the airplane uh, how the computers wouldn't let you pitch up beyond a certain point and stall the airplane. They had pulled the breakers on two of the five computer systems used to fly uh. the aircraft. The computers, the remaining computer systems read that as a problem and got confused about what response to do because it wasn't what you'd normally do with a system failure like that. And it kind of locked the guy, the, the flight crew out, and they mushed it into the trees. And like you said, killed some people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the control architecture, they've developed some force feedback in the side stick controllers. Uh, you know, they send a signal. It's a digital signal that goes to the computers. Computers read what you're asking for and the air data and power settings and gives you the appropriate response, whether it's with ailerons or ailerons and spoilers, both uh, elevator and rudder, whatever you're asking for. This is old technology by now that's still finding few takers in most markets. Uh, The A320 was the first commercial application. Uh, our good old F-16 fighter plane was America's first military application, first application period. Mm-hmm. And they had some issues with it early on that had nothing oh, yeah. to do with the computers. It had to do with the G-limits that they could put the airplane through. And it was causing the wire bundles that carried the computer data that caused the wire bundles to flex and scrape against screws until they shorted out, and then the computer didn't know what the hell it was. Yeah, yeah. tell me about it. Yeah. Tell me about it. You're sending all kinds of different signals to the control yeah. surfaces. Um, to, to the best of my knowledge, and I, I have been following this fairly closely, almost to the point of obsession. Um, to the to the best of my knowledge, Air France four four seven. Um, you know, the investigation continues. They're still recovering um, uh, pieces that are that are on the surface. They're still recovering bodies. They are um, uh, there are a handful of um, deep submersible vehicles in route um, to the area. Um, all of this is is you know uh, uh, obviously very unfortunate and very tragic uh, for anybody involved. Um, it, it appears that both Brazil and France have kind of gotten their uh, their. Uh, uh, acts together. <clears throat> they're they're cooperating, uh, working together on 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 retrieval. Um, the the keys are really going to be finding the wreckage on the ocean floor, and that is it is not a flat sandy bottom yeah. of the ocean. That is very deep and very mountainous terrain, and uh, they're going to have a hell of a time. Uh, f- much finding the wreckage, much less finding the the flight data and cockpit voice yeah. recorders. The yeah. critical, uh, well, cockpit, yeah, we've got to we've got to keep our fingers crossed yeah. that they yeah. find those puppies. One last, I, I have I have every confidence they will find them. Uh, I was yeah. just there was a news news uh, item last week I came across Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. The people that found the Titanic, people that found the Bismarck, etc just had a successful test last week of a, a submerse, uh, remote control and um, um, uh, autonomous submersible that successfully went to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, which is the wow. deepest known point yeah. wow. on, 
uh, of the oceans, uh, which is like 29,000 feet. Um, the, the area in which Air France 447 supposedly crashed can range down 12,000, 13,000 feet. Yeah, yeah. We need uh, to move on. Well, to there's, there's, there's no doubt about one thing here. They, yeah. they will find that stuff. It's, it's just well, going to take them a while. If, if they're able to find the, the cockpit and, 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 and uh, the, the flight data and the cockpit voice recorders, uh, the, the, the uh, flight data recorder has got in excess of 100 channels of data on it. Right. Right. Tells all all sorts of stuff, and when they happened, they've got the eight cars messages, and from the eight cars messages alone, we get a picture of a flight going through an aircraft going through uh, some significant compound failures, mm-hmm. ending with one at at o two fourteen Greenwich. It indicated a loss of cabin pressure. With them still at cruise altitude. Well, uh, that's that's exactly that's correct. Message, and, uh, that's the fourteenth message in four minutes. Yeah. Uh, that talked about a failure or gave a warning of a problem. Uh, whatever happened up there, you got to bet your life that that crew was fighting for their lives to deal with something that was going wrong in ways that nobody had ever seen before. And that's the bottom line here. This, if, if they succeed in sorting this out, it's going to be a teaching moment for how aircraft are designed and the systems that go into them because uh, there's going to be all sorts of stuff prodded and probed here about making this not possible a second time. Right. Yeah. One last point: the 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 final ACARS message, as Dave notes, uh, was sent at o two fourteen Greenwich Mean Time on uh, June one, and it was basically I think it's it, uh, cabin vertical speed, which um, depending on who you talk to and and their knowledge of the Airbus, could mean um, uh, that the the cabin pressurization had been lost. But it could also mean, and I think predominantly, uh, I think the interpretation predominantly is that at the current descent rate of the aircraft, the air, the cabin will be higher than the destination airport at that descent rate, if that makes sure. any sense. In other words, and the value in question is 1,800 foot per minute. Um so if, in fact, um, that ACARS message means that the aircraft was descending faster than the system could descend the cabin, the aircraft was descending at greater than 1,800 feet per minute, which for a jet transport is not that great of a, de- of a descent rate. No. But the, the implications of that final message are uh, rather horrific. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we'll I'm probably come back to this. Praying but... for those boxes to show up. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they will find those boxes. It might not be this month. It might not be this year. They will find those yeah, boxes. They, they're highly motivated, yeah. it seems. Yeah. yeah. So they've got twenty. They've got twenty days left before the pingers stop pinging. They'll find them. I have every confidence. Yeah. I, you know, they, they, there was a, an Air India flight. Um, a bomb exploded on several years ago. Oh, it was a yeah. Water. It was a 747, I believe it was. Uh, a bomb exploded on it. it. 
and altitude. So the wreckage was spread out over a wide, wide area. Um, they found th- those recorders. And in fact, there's a, uh, a website I came across, uh, just extremely interesting. The um, uh, guy involved in the search for that wreckage uh, was detailing um, the um, uh, statistics, the probability analyses, um, the consensus building of all the various parties involved in that. And when they actually finally got down to brass tacks and started searching for the recorders based on all of the research and, and statistical analysis that had occurred beforehand, they found what they were looking for within 24 hours. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. That's bloody amazing. Yeah. It is bloody amazing. It truly, truly is. Yeah. That's uh, bloody amazing. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, to really change gears here, uh, yeah. there's a couple of uh, interesting, uh, what I would characterize as internet stories on our list this week. Uh, the first is that uh, our friends at EAA have announced a new uh, website that they're, uh, they seem to be very excited about, and I think with good reason. It's called uh, Oshkosh365.org. It's a, uh, I don't know, I can't quite figure out how to characterize it yet. It's uh, sort of like... <laughs> See, I don't particularly like Facebook, so I don't want to call it Facebook for aviation. All right, but uh, but it's uh, it's sort of a, a great social gathering place online for aviation people and EA people. Uh, it's got uh, some forums, it's got groups, it's got messaging, it's got news, it's got uh, uh, a, a sort of a, a feed reader kind of software. Uh, it's got places for you to customize it to put up your own, you know, kind of organize it the way you want it to. It's it's a very interesting. Uh, 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 yeah, they've, they've put a lot of work into it. They've been working on it a long time. They just hired a new guy to be the overseer of their online community efforts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this, is know, a, uh, this is apparently it, it looks part... looks good so far. Yeah, this is apparently part of a, of a fairly major initiative by EAA to, uh, to kind of uh, become even more of a force on the Internet, I guess would be a way to put it. Um, it was an interesting uh, editorial in, uh, or, or not editorial, but editor's piece in the recent Sport Aviation magazine, um, uh, where they talked about uh, how uh, they they realized that, and and sadly this is true, print publications are kind of you know, I don't know, fading. Oh, you're or, talking about Mary's, yeah, I Mar- know you. Mary's piece, yeah, and uh, that uh, that EAA, although EAA has determined that their print publications will never go away, uh, they realize that a lot of people get most of their news from the internet these days, and so they are starting to uh, repurpose stuff onto the internet. They're starting to migrate a lot of their activities onto the internet, and this is one of their uh, their efforts along this line. Oshkosh three six five. It's not clear to me whether it's available to the public. I I was pleased to receive a, a, an an email inviting me to, into the beta yes. program. Yeah. I, I don't know whether I got this because uh, I have some dear friends at EAA or whether a lot of people got this. Um, but uh, I, I don't think a lot of people got this. Uh, I got it. Uh, yeah, it's but, uh, a, a target audience that they extended the yeah. invite But to. they are announcing it, and, and as a result, I didn't want to talk about it. I actually got this a couple of weeks ago and didn't want to talk about it on the podcast, not knowing exactly how public they wanted to be about this. But they've announced it and talked about it a lot in yeah. the current issue of the magazine that's come out. And so uh, so I wanted to call people's attention to it. I think it's going to be pretty cool and uh, – you know, we're gonna. I'm gonna try to be a little involved over there, and uh, we'll see. Uh, well, you know, to, to EAA's credit, they've worked their b 
bits and bytes off the last three or four years mm-hmm. to improve Internet access, both uh, penetration, real estate-wise, and uh, speed when you're on the grounds at AirVenture. Uh, you know, that this, this is an acknowledgement uh, along the same lines as that effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you know, more and more and more of the world is gravitating for their information, their social contact. I mean, look at our meetups. Uh, you know, uncontrolled airspace is a bit of a virtual community, uh, but we work the meetups. I'm hoping to get another one going here in Wichita before Oshkosh comes along uh, and talk about that next week. But, uh, you know, that this is the way much of the world is gravitating. And if you want to play with the uh, the uh, people that are going to be the future players, the folks in that generation and the overlap that are going to be where we are in another 15 years, you know, that is semi-old, far-established people. Okay. Uh, semi? Only semi, speak, huh? speak, speak for yourself. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's very cool. And yeah. uh, they've... they've Put a, it's obvious they put a lot of effort into making this work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and when they do the uh, the big launch, uh, I think you'll see a lot of people uh, find it beneficial in their aviation life. Yeah. Now, also uh, on uh, Internet News, uh, and Jeb, you posted this on our list a couple weeks back, but uh, and we sort of didn't make it didn't quite make the cut for a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. But uh, NTSB, what have they done? They're like having have presenting information better on the well, internet, or what? Yeah, if, if NTSB for years actually has been uh, what I would consider one of the more web I won't say web savvy, but web uh, supportive. Um, agencies of the federal government. They put a lot, put up a lot of information. They use the web. Um, many people um, perhaps are aware that uh, um, I think it was, I guess it was last week. May I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, I, I didn't watch it. The um, um, NTSB hearings into the uh, um, U.S. Airways ditching mm-hmm. on the Hudson River. Uh, were held this week or last week, I forget which, all of which was, was broadcast live on the Internet, as well as covered, of course, by the major news networks. Video or just audio? Video and audio. Really? Very cool. Um, they've been doing that for a number of years. One of the uh, things that they had, had been holding off on, and, and, and I, should go, I should say also, they have actually gone back and digitized a lot of their um, older accident records now, when I say digitized, you know, when it's a, um, a maybe a gear up or something involving a general aviation airplane, um, there's uh, an all uppercase text file um, that is available on the website. If it's um, uh, even an older accident where um, the, the the paperwork, there's a several page report, for example, maybe it's an air carrier accident um, that was literally typed. Uh, they've scanned that and made a PDF out of it. It's not necessarily searchable, but it is available, and, and that's that's uh, um, better than a lot of other federal agencies have done. Well, what they're doing now, what they announced a couple of weeks ago, is uh, they will begin to release all accident investigation public dockets to their website. Now, in the past, we've seen accident reports, um, preliminary reports, findings of probable cause, 
posted on the NTSB site. But a lot of the uh, appendices, for example, of a major investigation were not available. Um, you know, thinking back, for example, to uh, um, maybe the T-Way 800 or uh, the American Airlines, I think it was 587, 589, the Airbus that, that lost its uh, vertical stabilizer coming out of JFK back in late 01, uh, they put up images of that missing or the, the, the broken vertical stabilizer uh, almost right after they found it. It was, it was quite uh, eye-popping. Not only that they did that, but to look at the image to see the the failure mode of that particular component was eye popping in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the The public dockets are basically every piece of paper, every shred of information um, that has uh, up to now has not been um, uh, made available on the website. It's it's available if you physically go to the NTSB and right. formally. It's request. always been a public record. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and in, and in fact, there there was there was a time back in the '90s when I had a, a part-time gig uh, that requ- that required me to go to the NTSB uh, and look up these accident reports on paper, um, and uh, you know do that once a month, every other month, whatever it was. Um, this just makes it that much more complete, that much more up to date, and that much more um, accessible to everyone around the world. And uh, again, just you know, kudos to, f- to NTSB for taking uh, taking this additional step. Uh, I wish other <clears throat> federal agencies, whether they're operational or regulatory or, or um, uh, you know, whatever uh, uh, mode they're in, would um, uh, open up their offices and their books and their files in this fashion. Yeah, that's terrific. That's great. We have an off-field landing of the week this week. We've got a, uh, this is a headline from a story on aeronews.net, headlined emergency landing outside Atlanta. It says, uh, it started out as a routine check ride, but when 30-year-old instructor pilot Mike Davidson and his student Mallory Zachary smelled smoke in the cockpit of the Arrow 600 Sport they were flying, they knew there was trouble. <laughs> no kidding. Uh they contacted the tower at McCollum Field, which gave them immediate clearance to land, but they didn't make the airport. Quote, uh, let's see from Davidson here, is a heartbeat after that, the engine failed. Uh, uh, Davidson apparently is a commercial pilot for JetBlue. They landed safely on the southbound lane of a busy highway. So uh, congratulations to them. That's great. It's uh, yet another highway landing. I don't know. I see Ro- rolling down Highway 41. That's <laughs> right. This is a cool airplane. I've always liked, I was always yeah. admired this airplane. I think this must be fun to fly. This is a, a sort of a, a tandem uh, front and back seat, uh, two-seater with a pusher prop behind the high wing. And, and, the, and the wing is behind the cockpit, too, so yeah. the visibility so the is, yeah, is uh, well. Hey, and and, and let's, let's, let's tip our wing to Highway 41. Yeah. It gets a lot of dead stick landing action, okay? It's got this one <laughs> a few years ago between Oshkosh and Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. That's right. Uh, a gentleman said his very nicely polished T6 Texan. That's right. Down on, on Highway 41. We, we covered that here on the podcast. We've talked about that before. Yeah, that was an early episode. I'm confused here. That's right. I, I guess I it didn't... It was our first year. I guess I didn't really... Uh, this is a, a different stretch of Highway 41, though, I take well, it. Well, it is a different it's stretch. It's all the same highway, it is though. It's still the same highway. <laughs> yeah. I was on Highway 41 today. 
in, in here here in Sarasota. So it's it's a you know it's almost like Highway 66 when you Route 66 when you think about uh-huh. it. Uh, 41 oh, goes well, from Key I West. Bet it's or, even longer. Or not so much Key West, but South Florida goes up past Oshkosh through Oshkosh uh, into uh, I, I would guess all the way up to Canada. I don't know for certain. Well, we know it goes at least as far as Green Bay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and what's across from Green Bay, Michigan? Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, first off, cool for you guys for being cool heads and getting it down on the ground. Because uh, I imagine TV landing, you can landing on US forty one in an Atlanta suburb could be a pretty dicey proposition. How do you log that? <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, I, I think I'd log that as a uh, uh, carrier landing. Yeah, yeah. Well, the plane definitely uh, has a fighter fighter plane look to it. So there you go. Uh, that's pretty flew, cool. you know, took off airplane, landed same. Uh, that's right. You know, yeah. See here, it says, uh, two landed safely on the southbound lane of the busy highway. Davidson said he chose the highway after looking for a field in which to land, but didn't find anything that wor- would work. Uh, after landing, he and Zachary taxied the plane into a parking lot. Uh, uh he says uh, there was a guy in a pickup truck, and he had the presence to slow down and stop the traffic behind him. So, uh, so thanks to the driver too. Anyways, congratulations yeah. to uh, to uh, Mike Davidson and Mallory Zachary for a, a you good are uncontrolled airspaces <coughs> landing of the week. There you go. And, uh, Doesn't that, get you anything except notoriety. You know, there's no I was going to say that two bucks a happy beer. hour will get you a beer. That's right. That's right. There you go. That's there right. you go. Shoutouts. Shoutouts. Who's got any shoutouts? There's three on the list here. You guys any more? Uh, I got one I can w- work in. Y'all All right, go ahead. Let me go first here. Oh, so. Well, well the, the first one here is, is I believe, uh, Mike Hart, uh, who's a longtime uh, listener of the podcast. Uh, and I'll let Jack take it from here. I'm here. Well, Sorry, I, I muted. I muted. I muted my mic because my one of my trains is going by here, and I wasn't oh, okay. sure. Well, Jack, Jack Hart, I believe, is is this gentleman's name? Mike Hart. Mike uh, Hart. Mike, I, Idaho Mike. Mike. You think so? You think this is Mike Hart? I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, my my dyslexia is taking hold. Taking yeah, over. That's okay. Um, um, bought an airplane Mike, recently, oh, yeah, and uh, now the train's gone. I can talk take, now. It's uh, take will it. you guys stop French kissing and one of you talk. No. no. <laughs> poor poor Jeb is. <laughs> Poor Jeb is struggling with his uh, with his internet connection tonight, so he's a little every now and, you know it's like it's like that satellite thing you know when you see people in, in being interviewed on TV and there's a lag between the two of them because the signal's got to go all the way to the satellite and all the way back down. Well, that's basically what we've got going tonight, and poor Jeb's kind of got a little bit lag going on here. So it's, it's better now. It's I don't know. Is it okay? Uh, Mike I was wrote, thinking it wasn't enough, but I Mike wrote uh, in the forums. He said this past February I took the plunge and bought a brand new 1960 Cessna 180. Congratulations, Mike. I love the way he put that. Uh, A brand new 1960. Good for you, man. And he said, uh, uh, and 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 that's the cool part. What 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 also tickles us is he wrote, "I credit listening to UCAP as a major enabling support in making the decision," which is very nice of him to say. So. now, Mrs. Mike, we didn't have anything to do with <laughs> that's it. Right. That's right. You know, that's right. Yeah. We, we're, we're just, you know, that we weren't focused on on your husband. We weren't, uh, you know, doing anything like that. We were just doing what we normally do. And if you're going to accuse us of something, at least accuse us of doing what we do best. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Um, he writes. Uh, he tells us a, a nice. He's a nice post here about some of his experiences with his new airplane, and uh, I won't. I won't read them to you here, but you can check them out in the forums. Um, he has a great line at the end, though. Uh, he, he talked about uh, one particular trip that he went uh, uh, on a quick day trip, 150 nautical miles uh, out, out of his area. And, and the line that I love, he said, uh, that trip, from that trip, he said, I realized that owning a plane means my backyard got a lot bigger. Exactly. And I think right. that's a great uh, phrase. Yeah, for- man, that just made me melt. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a great line. Yeah. So uh, yeah. congratulations, Idaho Mike, for uh, your new airplane. Uh, and I'm getting closer and closer behind you, I have to tell you. So, uh, well, Mike uh, also, uh, he, didn't, he um, didn't mention this and probably doesn't know this, but uh, uh, he, he knows he wrote a piece for me for Aviation Safety. Oh, okay. And uh, I'm optimistic that it'll be running in the August issue. Uh, basically, the thrust of it is not so much... Um, you know, hey, I bought an airplane. But the thrust of it is, <clears throat> hey, you just bought an airplane and it's 500 miles away, and you've never flown it before, and now you got to bring it home. Oh, I think what we talked the, about his yeah, the, this uh, yeah. on the podcast once. What, yeah, okay. What are, what are the safety implications of yeah. this? And, well, that uh, that sounds like an interesting uh, piece. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got a nice piece that he's put together with some, a lot of great images and whatnot, and uh, um, uh, we'll be running that in safety here, and as I say, hopefully in, in August. Great, that's great. Very cool. Jeb, what was yours? Um, something just kind of jumped out at me here, talking about EAA earlier, uh, and um, um, there's a there's an EAA chapter. It's Chapter 1000, okay, apocryphally. Um, years ago, they put together a uh, – uh, they, they got their own website – they put together um, some plans for workbenches for EAAers to build for their hangar, for their garage, for their workshop in building an airplane. Uh-huh. And these workbenches are basically, it's, it's two-by-fours and plywood. Um, but um, they, 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 you know, have, they have material schedules, they have cutting schedules. In these plans, it's basically every scrap of the wood that you buy at your local Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, uh, they have figured out a way uh, for you to use that wood and build these workbenches. And they are sturdy. Uh, I built two of them years ago. Uh, I moved them down to Florida with me when I came down. Uh, they've been in my hangar for, for several years. They're in my hangar now. And it's long past the time. That I gave them a shout out for such for doing such uh, good and useful work and putting uh, these workbenches together, putting the plans for them out there on the internet for free, and uh, I'd just like to give a shout out to EAA Chapter One Thousand. Thanks, great. guys. Yeah, we're, that's we're, excellent. Yeah, where's One Thousand located? Do you happen to know? Oh man, give me a second. It, it sounds Google familiar. It. I think uh, I've had some, some back interaction with at some point. Yeah, you want you look that up. Um, while you're looking that up, uh, David, can you tell us about Pete Chapman? Pete Chapman was a longtime EAAer from the Oshkosh area, born in Milwaukee, uh, former EAA board member, former convention chairman. When it wasn't Air Venture, it was EAA Convention Fly-In, and, uh, which moved to Oshkosh in 1970. And... Uh, uh, Pete was uh, 
one of the old school at EAA. He was one of the people who put heart and soul into volunteering at so many levels uh, to make it possible. Pete, uh, we're sorry to say, passed on this past Saturday at age 65. Uh, it's always been a treat to bump into him at Oshkosh, uh, regardless of the venue. Uh, guy never seemed to lose his enthusiasm or his sense of humor and his passing is a is a loss so our uh, heart and, and sympathies and thoughts go out to his family and uh, you know like he'll be kind of like the control tower at Oshkosh we'll remember him we just won't see him yeah um, and and Jack the reason that you've probably heard of EAA chapter 1000 before is that they are based at drum roll please Edwards Air Force Base uh, of course, of course, that's uh, right. And and in fact, it is it is in fact the um, the the chapter I was thinking about. Here's the work table instructions, um, and the plans. They've got drawings. They've got a bill of materials for building two tables. Uh, detailed instructions. It's it's a no brainer. If if you know somebody needs some workbenches uh, in their hangar, in their garage, um, you know, in their place of work. Um, you know, if these are sized right for them, these are you know jam up. I was working on on one of mine earlier this week. So, mm -hmm. That's uh, right. uh, but again, you know, just just hats off to Chapter One Thousand and and you know, based at Edwards like they are. Well, duh. Yeah. Why That's am great. I not surprised? Yeah. I thought I I thought that sounded familiar. Yeah. Just want to remind listeners that uh, up here in the uh, northeastern United States uh, that uh, it, but just a little over two weeks from now, June 27th, is going to be the uh, the UCAP Central New England fly-in drive-in lunch at uh, Barnes Municipal Airport uh, in, uh, in I can never remember the name of the city, but it's, uh, hang on, I can tell you right here. I'll just click this link and uh, open up AirNav and uh, Westfield, dude, dude. Springfield, Massachusetts. Springfield, Mass. I know Springfield. Yeah. And uh, exactly what? 1,000 miles away from Jeb. I think that's what he said. So, he was on the yeah. way to Holyoke when I was stationed in Hartford. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Right there in the center of Massachusetts and, uh, you know, sort of not quite central New England, but uh, just a little to the south of what I would call central New England. And uh, um, so we're going to get together uh, for lunch uh, that day at uh, Barnes. Uh, I'm planning to arrive uh, around 11. Uh, my, I'm flight planning to arrive around 11 a.m., which hopefully will get me there in time for lunch. And <laughs> so uh, um, I'm going to fly down from Sanford, uh, weather willing. Um, and uh, and one way or the other, I'm going. I mean, if the weather's bad, I'm going to jump in my car and drive on down. But uh, hey, get get a flight instructor and make an instrument. Do oh, hey, there's an idea, huh? Yeah, yeah. that's actually not a half bad idea. So Dude, we're going to do that. And man, how long have you been doing this? Yeah, Never mind. I know. I'm still getting into used to that idea. That's a skill that's not really part of my. It's an arrow that's not in my quiver. How do you like that? Um, no, no, don't. A it's problem. such a straight line. I'm sorry. I'm just. We're going to move on. So uh, Saturday, the 27th, lunchtime. Uh, watch the website. Watch the uh, web. Uh, watch the uh, forums and watch the website homepage for updated information about this. Particularly for. Uh, I don't think we're going to cancel. I mean, it would have to be pretty ugly for at least not a few of us to get together for lunch. There's a, a restaurant on the field, which I think is where we're headed for, and uh, we'll have lunch and uh, and uh, and chat and and uh, and check out each other's airplanes for anybody who brings their airplanes along and uh, should be fun any other shout outs david you got anything else i'm good for the night okay i only have one last thing to say what's that jack 
called Comcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. No Yay, one's going to know. Rah. No one is going to have a single idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but I know what you're talking about, and thank you for the reminder. I appreciate it. Hey, uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's also an aviation journalist, and he's the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, well, almost any place you trip, it seems like these days. Avbuyer.com, AEA.net. Uh, even something called safety here and there, and uh, downstream a little bit, uh, a little later this year, Planet Pilot and Pilot Journals. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Jeff Burnside. Biz. There you go. Whoa, hey, that was cool. <laughs> that didn't mute. Um, Jeff, Burns- <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the Internet? They can find me at aviationsafetymagazine.com um, for my day job, uh, current day job anyway. And um, personal website is jeburnside.com. Uh, you can get there, you know, a couple of three different ways, too. Um, and um, every now and then I pop up on uh, AvWeb, and uh, uh, you never know what's going to happen next. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. As always, a big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. That's uh, Scoffrey Jet in the forums. Say hi to him there. Also, thanks to our many listeners, uh, and particularly to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl for the uh, show opening disclaimer clips. We are, uh, as always, very grateful for the financial support we receive from many of our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, you can check out the wiki, the airport restaurants list, the aviation movies list. There's so much there and more. All of that at uncontrolledairspace.com. Hey, David, you back? What were you going to say? Oh, I'm sorry. Live longer and fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. In the immortal words of uh, Donald Sutherland, that's his other dog impression. (coughs) TTFN. Okay, that's good. <laughs> you remember that movie? Yeah. I've got that DVD, which is just surprising. But I was watching that on TV the other night, and I just, that's my other dog impression. <laughs> <laughs>